Hello, I'm Alec Avdikov, and welcome to the life and times of Frederick the Great. Before I go straight into the content, I must do a prelude regarding why I am doing this podcast. When I searched Frederick the Great on Apple Podcast, I did not see a single series about the biography of Frederick the Great beyond his exploits in the Seven Years' War. I found this a little bit sad, because I had admired what he had done during his entire life. From the intrigue and drama in his early years, to the wars that he masterfully led, to the culture and art that he spread throughout his kingdom and the world. I intend not only to tell his life story in a way that does not seem bland to the average listener, but I also intend to scrape away the bit of obscurity that surrounds life in the 1700s. I don't think this will ever be something that my mom will ever listen to. She hates history. But I just want to put this experiment out into the world and see how it does. Frederick, in my opinion, deserves to be remembered as much as, say, the American Revolution needs to be remembered. This is because his long life made Prussia, and then Germany, into a great power in Europe. I do not think the world would be quite the same if the Allies managed to exploit their victory at the Battle of Kunersdorf and push their on the way on to Berlin, but I am getting way ahead of myself. Frederick still has the mark of greatness next to his name, and continues to have his historical legacy felt today. I also like the idea of how Frederick and Prussia are both underdogs during the narrative I am going to tell. When Frederick the Great first became the king, he had an army of 90,000 men. This was formidable at the time, but 4% of Prussia's entire population. Therefore, if Frederick ever lost a huge battle, it would take a miracle for his kingdom not to be smashed and partitioned, as Poland would by the end of Frederick's own reign. He was always nearly outnum- so outnumbered, but he maintained his will and never surrendered his kingdom. Now that I have that out of the way, let me get into the actual content of this podcast greatness, and the history leading up to the Thirty Years' War. What is greatness? The question seems simple enough to answer. According to the Oxford Dictionary, I didn't trust Webster. (laughs) Greatness is the quality of being extremely good in ability, or quality, and therefore admired by many people. But when you think about it longer than two seconds, it really starts to become an obscure and often contradictory term. What makes King Alfred great and Napoleon not? Is there such a thing as great? This also brings up the question of whether we should use modern morals to judge historical figures. This question really has no correct answer, and I accept any and all questions in my email, link in the description. Besides my personal plug... I believe that the term great should really mean remembered. Besides Alexander, all of the greats that I have come across in some aspect and have failed. And one could argue that Alexander failed in his legacy by not appointing a successor, but 
that is beyond the scope of this podcast. However, great does not mean invincible. It is true and expected that great people make some mistakes, but through adversity they are able to shine like a beacon in history. I would consider the three enlightened absolutist leaders that ruled at the same time, Frederick the Great, Catherine the Great, and Maria Theresa, to be some of the greatest rulers of all time. And Maria Theresa deserves the title of her contemporaries, in my opinion. The title, The Great, is often arbitrary, but in the case of Frederick, it is not. And through this podcast, I hope you shall see what I see. He promoted primary education in his realm, won extraordinary battles against foes that outnumbered him, and helped spread art and music throughout his kingdom in Europe. Frederick's kingdom, Prussia, if you look on a map of Europe, today no longer exists. Therefore, I need to explain how the Holy Roman Empire worked, or hardly worked at all, up until the year 1618, the year the Thirty Years' War began, which is crucial to the story of how Frederick became king. In the Middle Ages, feudalism was a thing, and made ruling over a territory extremely confusing. There is no such thing as a nation-state as there was, as there is today, and would take the Fre French Revolution for there to truly be nationalism, and therefore a nation-state. Brandenburg, Prussia was a product of the Holy Roman Empire, or, more specifically, the Holy Roman Empire of the German nation. Voltaire spoke some truth when he said, This agglomeration which was called and which still calls itself the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy, nor Roman, nor an empire. By the time that we march on the stage of history, practically every entity, whether it be kingdoms, archduchies, imperial free cities, etc., and the Holy Roman Empire, was independent of one another. The Holy Roman Empire was kind of like the Power Rangers. For the most part, they're individuals, but under extreme emergency, they would unite and become one powerful entity. However, all of the states in the empire did not necessarily join the Megazord, and loyalty was down to the, each individual ruler. For instance, in the War of Spanish Succession, Bavaria sided with France against the Habsburgs and the Holy Roman Empire. But... If you thought this walking ball of contradictions couldn't get any more confusing, you'd be dead wrong. Another piece of that confusing pie that was the Holy Rom Roman Empire were imperial elections. Instead of the position of the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire being hereditary, where the emperor gave his title to his son and so on and so forth, the emperor was elected. You heard that right? elected. Were these elections democratic, though? <laughs> uh, no. There were multiple rulers of kingdoms and duchies that were to elect the emperor. The Margrave of Brandenburg, for instance, the domain that Frederick would eventually rule, was one of them. Along with Saxony, Bohemia, 
Bavaria, the Palatinate, Hanover, Trier, Mainz, and Köln. These were all electors of the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. It was not the people that were represented in these elections, but the crowned heads of Europe. Now that I've oversimplified what the heck imperial elections are, I will then muddy up the waters further by telling you that the imperial throne had been ruled by the same royal house since 1438, the Habsburgs. I'm serious when I say that if anyone is saying, Oh, I understand this. This all makes sense. You're a liar. And you owe your parents a call. In fact, all of you owe your parents or grandparents a call right now. You got it? You got it? Good. The Habsburgs were originally a family from what is today Switzerland. They had the coming plan of marrying everyone of importance until they became the richest and most important family in all of Europe. There were Hungarian Habsburgs, Spanish Habsburgs, Austrian Habsburgs, Italian Habsburgs, Habsburgs from the Netherlands. Once they became the potato that rose to the top of the boiling pot of Europe, they decided that it was nice at the top, and they started only to marry within the family. Haha, <laughs> incest, am I right? Charles V was the culmination of Habsburg power. This was when all the silver and gold was coming from the Incan and Aztec empires they destroyed in America, and Charles owned the New World, Spain, Austria, Burgundy, today Belgium and the Netherlands, and was the Holy Roman Emperor. Basically, he ruled all of Central Europe. However, the Ottoman Turks were coming off their high of conquering Egypt in a single year, and, uh, and they decided, hey, let's go north and put Vienna, the capital of Austria, under siege in 1529 under Suleiman the Magnificent. If you look, good old Suleiman, if you look him up, it looks like he has an onion on his head. Eventually, the power of all of Europe was too much for Chuck V, and he said, F this S, I'm out. That's right, I made that joke. I'm sorry. He abdicated the throne in Brussels, and he split the Habsburgs into two branches, the Spanish and the German branches. In his solemn abdication speech, he said, When I was 19, upon the emperor's death, I undertook to be the candidate for the imperial throne, not to increase my possessions, but rather to engage myself more vigorously in working for the welfare of Germany and my other provinces, namely the Belgian provinces, in the hopes of thereby bringing peace among the Christian peoples and uniting their fighting forces for the defense of the Catholic faith against the Ottomans. It was partly the German heresy and partly the envoy of rival powers that prevented me from fully achieving the goal of my efforts. With God's help, I nonetheless never ceased to rest, resisting my foes or striving to fulfill my mission. The campaigns I undertook, some to begin wars, some to make peace, took me nine times to Germany, six times to Spain, seven times to Italy, four times to France, twice to England, and twice to Africa, in a total of four great journeys. Not to mention the less important visits I paid over the years to my individual realms. 
I have crossed the Mediterranean Sea eight times and sailed the Atlantic Ocean twice, not to speak of the journey I made from Spain to the Netherlands for the very serious reasons for which you know. My frequent absence from these provinces forced me to hand their administration over to my sister, Mary, who is present today. The States General know as well as I do how faithfully she performed her duties. Although involved in many wars, I have never gone happily into battle. And as I take leave of you, nothing is more painful than my inability to leave you in a firm, secure state of peace. I already, already before my last campaign in Germany. My pitiful state of health prompted me to consider the idea of divesting myself of the burdens of state. But the troubles which then beset Christendom forced me to give up this plan in the hopes that peace could be restored. Because I felt stronger then than I do now, I held it for my duty to sacrifice my remaining strength and my life for the people's welfare. I had almost reached my goal when the attack by the French king and some German princes called me once more to arms. Against my enemies, I accomplished what I could. But success in war lies in the hands of God, who gives victory or takes it away as he pleases. We thank divine providence that we have experienced no great mutation of things bearing permanent consequences. On the contrary, many battles have been won that our children can celebrate. As I withdraw, I beg to be loyal to your princes and to maintain a firm understanding among yourselves. Above all, avoid those new sects that plague our neighboring lands. And when heresy seeps over your boundaries, do not delay in wiping it out, or it will go badly for you. I must, my, in, for my part, confess that I have often misled myself, either from youthful inexperience, from the pride of mature years, or from other weakness of human nature. Nonetheless, I declare to you that I never knowingly or willingly acted unjustly or with unjust force, nor did I ever command or empower another to do so. If actions of this kind are nevertheless justly laid to my account, I formally assure to you now that I did not then unknowingly and against my own intention. I therefore beg those present today whom I have offended in this respect, together with those who are absent, to forgive me. The main explanation point from this speech is the heresy that he speaks of. In Württemberg in 1517, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the door of the Schlosskirche. The Protestant Reformation was of huge importance to the grand scale of European history. The problem with the Habsburgs was that they wanted to focus either on the great power of the Turks or the threat of the Protestant heresy solely. If they wanted to focus on one, the other threat would rise and vice versa. The empire could focus on the Turks in the middle of the 1500s due to the Peace of Augsburg, signed the same year of Charles's abdication. 
1555. This was to stop all the major fighting over the Reformations. The 7th and 8th articles are regarding the question of religion. And when the electors appointed councils, several princes, and estates of the Holy Roman Empire appeared before us, both in their person and by the emissaries of with plenipotentiary powers of representation, and we considered with them what issues were of greatest concern, and how to organize our consultations of them, it was immediately found out. Just as it, as at several previous imperial diets, the matter of divided religion and of ubiquitous mischief, damage, and dissension it had caused within the Holy Empire of the German nation. Once again, the foremost, most pressing, and weightiest unresolved matter of grievance in the Holy Empire and of greatest concern estates and subjects, from which, at a gracious instigation, the electors appointed councils, the attending princes, estates, delegates, and emissaries considered it well advised to treat first of this most weighty matter. Essentially, the Peace of Augsburg meant that the prince should be the same religion as his subjects, a Catholic prince for a Catholic territory, and a Protestant prince for a Protestant territory. That treaty worked for about a half a century. This allowed the Habsburgs to butt heads with the Turks and decisively defeat them in the naval battle of Lepanto in the Mediterranean Sea. However, there was a stumbling block. What if the prince practiced a different religion than the subjects do? What if they started to become Calvinists instead of Lutheran? The Margrave of Brandenburg would eventually become Calvinist. The main difference between them, the Calvinists and the Lutherans are that the Lutherans believe that salvation can be attained through faith, whereas the Calvinists believe that you are predestined to either go to heaven or hell. There were only two religions mentioned in the Peace of Augsburg, and Calvinism was not one of them. This led to the major conflict that split the Catholic Holy Roman Empire against the Protestants, the Thirty Years' War. This conflict devastated Germany, and specifically Brandenburg, which is our main focus in the podcast. But, I believe... I shall have to leave you here, with a great deal of oversimplification of what the heck the Holy Roman Empire was, what the politics of religion were leading up to the Thirty Years' War, and of course, what greatness is. And as I leave you, I believe I will steal one of my favorite ways to conclude. In the words of Paul Kangas, I'm wishing you all the best of goodbyes.